Friends, would you open with me in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians? We're studying the book of Ephesians. We're going to open there today. Y'all, today is a happy day. Today is a blessed day. Today, we celebrate the fact that our church is now five years old, and we take that as a grace and a kindness from God. We do not take it for granted that he has led us this far, and we praise him for it. Well, because today is the church's birthday, and because next month we're doing a new members class, and because the book of Ephesians has a ton to say about the church, today's sermon is all about the dynamic, nourishing, growing, glorifying gift of church membership. To do that, we're not going to look at any one passage in Ephesians. We're not going to read a section before I pray. Instead, we're going to survey the material that's here to see what Ephesians has to say about the church. That's kind of what we're going to do today. Now, this is going to sound really intense, but uh, as many of you guys know, my family is about to leave on a big vacation. We're going to take a road trip. We're going to leave tomorrow morning. We're going to drive to the Grand Canyon. We're going to take three weeks to do that. We're pumped. We've been planning this for years. It's finally going to happen, and we're thrilled to do that, which means for the next three weeks, we'll have guest preachers that are better than me. They're here. We'll have regular services. It's going to be wonderful. But mortality has been on my mind, and we know that not every day is guaranteed for us. I do not know. I have no premonition of this. But I don't know if today is my last sermon at CPC. I know that sounds dramatic. I'm only gone for three weeks. I hope to come back. (laughs) I hope you'll still have me back after this. But here's the thought I had. If this was my last sermon at CPC, if God had me here for five years and I go out with a bang on CPC's birthday, I would not change a thing about this sermon. This is what I would say from the book of Ephesians if this was my last Sunday here. Was that pretty intense? I'm a Calvinist. I'm not even going to knock on wood. We're just going to trust God with this. But because this may or may not be my last sermon and Jesus may or may not tarry these next three weeks, this is going to be my longest sermon that I have ever preached in this place. This thing clocks out at 28 minutes, and so buckle up, okay? If you've got roast beef in the oven, it's going to get dry. Today, we're talking about the church from Ephesians, okay? So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to dive into this glorious book. Father, I'm thinking about that great Robert Murray McShane quote, are we not all immortal until our work is done? So as of 11.05 this morning, on a Sunday morning, every person in this room is immortal up until this moment because you have something for us in this moment. Lord, would you lead us? Would you teach us? Would you fill us with your spirit? Would we understand deep and mysterious things about how this awkward, average body of Christians is somehow counted in your economy as the very body, the very hands and feet of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. 
it's going to take us our whole lives of doing church together to understand what you mean by that. Would you teach us? Would you fill us this morning? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today is all about joining, serving, participating in the local church as God's means, as God's design to grow us as Christians and to glorify himself. Now, I realize if we're talking about the church on a Sunday morning to people who are in attendance in this worship service, we're preaching to the choir, right? I mean, we don't have a choir, but you guys are here this morning, which means you at least have some kind of positive vibe about the local church. You're here, and that's wonderful. And so maybe today as you hear from Ephesians about what God is doing in the church, this will further undergird, this will encourage, this will inspire what you are making a priority in your life, and that is what God wants you to do in connection to his local church. You read the book of Ephesians cover to cover, and you realize very quickly it has a lot to say about the church. The word church is referenced nine times in the book of Ephesians, and every single chapter in this letter talks about the church, the local church. Now, you could do this, and this would be beautiful, and I hope you do. Study the book of Ephesians, looking for the word church and what God has to say about the church. You could just walk your way in your morning devotions through this book and see everything that God says about the church and why he says it about the church, and that would be a fantastic way to study your Bible. One of the ways you could organize the material that you're hearing is according to this timeline, Jesus' relationship with the church, past, present, and future. And if you did that, you would see what Christ has done for the church in the past. That he loved her, that he died for her, that he cleansed her, according to chapter 5, and then that he placed her as the head of all creation, what we talked about from chapter 1. That's what Jesus has done for the church in the past. And then you move to the present and you realize that Jesus is growing the church, chapter 4. That he's nourishing and cherishing the church according to Ephesians chapter 5. And then you move into the future and you get to one of my favorite verses in the Bible, chapter 5 verse 27, that this is where all of this is headed. That he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That's what Jesus is doing past and present and future in the church. But today, because we're here now, I want to focus on the presence. I want to focus on what God says he is doing in the church today. Because if we understand what God is doing in the church today, if we understand what he is capable of doing, if we understand what he has designed the church to do, we will better understand what our participation looks like, right? If we know what God designed the church to do, then we know why we're in the church and why he has us here to do this life together. So that's our aim for this morning. Now, you see this every single year when you join a class or when you join a team because a good teacher and a good coach, just like the book of Ephesians, is telling us where we're going. Now, we have a bunch of of teachers at CPC, right? If any of you are a teacher, would you raise your hand 
at any level. We've got a bunch of y'all out here. And a good teacher, I don't know at what age you begin to say this to your students, but a good teacher is going to tell the class, here's my goal for the class. Here's what I want us to do. I I want to mold your minds around these core ideas. I want you to own them. I want you to know them. I want you to live them. Right? A good teacher is going to do that so you know where the class is headed. Just like a coach, he's going to pull together his teams and in a a very different tone of voice, (laughs) he's going to say, my goal for this team is to take this pathetic group of pansies And to turn y'all into a well-oiled machine. That's what I want to do, and that's what we're going to see done. Well, when you hear that from a good teacher, and you hear that from a good coach, you know what's going to happen. You can ask yourself during the semester, during the season, is this really happening in me? Do I feel like a molded mind around core ideas? Do I feel like a well-oiled machine? Because that's what my coach and teacher is after. Well, the book of Ephesians is our class syllabus for the church. God says that he's going to do presently in us at least three things in the local church. You can own these three things from the book of Ephesians. And as you're living your life in participation with the church in the book of Ephesians, we can each ask ourselves, is my pathetic pansy self, being knit together in this body to do these things that God wants us to do. Does that make sense? He's going he's gonna to share where we're headed and why we're headed there through the local church in a way he can only do in the local church and nowhere else. So let's talk about these three things. Number one, The number one thing God says he's going to do in his local church is that we will receive nourishment from God. We're going to receive nourishment from God. That is a gift God gives us from active participation in a local church body. Now, I get this chiefly from chapter 5, if you want to flip ahead to chapter 5. Chapter 5 is such an incredible description of marriage. It's kind of our go-to preaching text, homily for a marriage, that I think sometimes we forget that there's something there in chapter 5 for every single person here. Kids, singles, divorcees, widows, rocky marriages, solid marriages, every single one of us can turn to Ephesians 5 and find something because every believer is striving first to be a bride of Jesus before we can be anything else. You're not going to be a son or daughter in Christ without being a bride of Christ. You're not going to be a a serving husband in Christ without first being the wife and the bride of Christ. But this is the point Ephesians 5 makes. Look at verse 28 through 30. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but listen to this, nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. As hyper-individualistic, self-sufficient, 21st century American evangelicals, it is impossible to hear this verse on the first reading. 
You do not understand it when you read it the first time through because you are reading it with cultural ears to hear something that Ephesians 5 is not actually saying. Every single one of us, if we grew up in America, we read nourish and cherish just as Jesus Christ does for each of us. Like for every single one of us. In other words, husbands love your wives just as Jesus faithfully and and privately and personally, he loves each and every one of you. That's a beautiful thought. That is not at all what Ephesians 5 says. It is true that Jesus loves each of us personally and individually, but the nourishing and cherishing he talks about here only comes to the church body and is enjoyed by that church body together in its membership one with another. Ephesians 5 is not saying that Jesus has arrived in Columbia and he's just scattering his nourishment and cherishing willy-nilly throughout the city. No, Ephesians 5 is saying he digs a well, he calls it his local church body, and he invites all of us to come to it to drink and to be nourished and to be cherished together. That's a big difference in the way we read the nourishing and the cherishing that happens in Ephesians chapter 5. So I want to ask us some application questions, which I'll do after every point. If that's true, if Ephesians 5 is talking about what's happening in the church and not just what's happening in my personal private prayer closet, the question for all of us is, are we expecting Do we even know to expect to receive Jesus' love and nourishment from the people sitting next to us? Like I know I can get it in my devotions, and I know I can get it in my prayer time in the car, but did I know that I show up with this group of people and there are parts of it I can only get from my neighbors sitting around me in this church body? That's the question. Are you expecting to receive love and nourishment from the people around you? Beyond simple church membership, your name is on the roll, you come every other Sunday, you leave as soon as the benediction is done. The application question next is, have you positioned yourself in the life of this church body to receive his love and nourishment from the people around you? Are you expecting to receive it on the one hand? That's the first battle. And then, do you even have a relationship with the church where if Jesus wanted to give you nourishment and cherish you, you could even receive that from a fellow member because you have that caliber of a relationship with other people who are in this church? Do you expect it, and do you put yourself in its path? Finally, do you realize that there is more love and more nourishment from Jesus that is freely yours here in this place, deeper and further into church participation than you are today? Do you lack feeling 
loved and cherished by Jesus? Do you lack the nourishment you need to put one foot of faith in front of the other and walk this Christian life? It's here, Jesus says, among this body. And it's yours. It's a gift to you. Will you come further and deeper into the body to receive this gift from God? Jesus is so proud of how tenderly he does this for the church body that he actually wants every human marriage to mimic what he's doing. He wants every human marriage to demonstrate what he now does between himself and the local church body. And it will only come in this respect through the body. It's not going to come through a podcast. It's not going to come through the next best-selling Christian book. It's not even going to come from visiting your best friend out of state. All of those things are good. All of those things are graces. Jesus uses all of those things to grow us. Just don't use Ephesians chapter 5 to describe those things. Pick a psalm. You can make the psalm say anything. Put a psalm on one of those experiences, but save Ephesians 5 for when you are living hand to mouth on the grace of God that comes daily to us through the local church. That's when you use Ephesians chapter 5. Now, I dare us to get aggressive with this. I I dare one of you to do this. You've got a friend who... They go off on a spiritual retreat, they go up on a mountain, praise God, they fast, they pray, they come back to you and they say, praise God, I felt like Jesus, he nourished my soul, he cherished me. I want you to say, no he didn't. (laughs) Jesus loves you, he did good things, he met with you, he whispered sweet nothings to you, I believe all that. He didn't nourish and cherish you. That's something that he does in the body. That's something you can't get on your own. That's a different experience you get on your own. What Jesus is saying is, I will nourish you here in the body in a way you cannot possibly get on a personal spiritual retreat. You need grace. You need nourishment. You need to feel cherished by Jesus. Come deeper into the body of Christ. So number one, we get nourishment from God. Number two, in the local church, we get growth toward God. Chapters 2, 3, 4, 5, especially make the point that God will grow us together as a church in ways that he simply won't grow us on our own. Chapters 2, 3, 4, 5, make the point that God is going to grow us together as a body in a way that he can't or won't grow us when we're on our own in our Christian lives. In other words, a churchless Christian is a stunted Christian. A churchless Christian is a stunted Christian. Now, how could that be? I mean, what does the church have to offer that I can't find somewhere else? Are you trying to tell me that it's because the church has these incredible programs or these great teaching venues 
or this discipleship curriculum that's like only available in the local church that I can't find on Amazon Prime? Are you telling me like the church has the corner on this kind of market and I can't get these resources anywhere else? Is that why you're saying that God can grow us in the church in a way he can't grow us outside of the church? And the answer is no, of course not. It has nothing to do with the curriculum. It has nothing to do with the preaching. It has nothing to do with the worship team. It has nothing to do with our life group questions. It has nothing to do with any of those things. It has everything to do with the fact that God has this absolutely wild idea in mind. That he plans to take every single one of us as this like unwieldy brick that's got all manner of jagged edges, and that he is going to use the church to chip us piece by piece into a brick that will fit one brick together, one with another, to build a temple for the Holy Spirit to the glory of God. I get that from Ephesians chapter 2. Amazon doesn't sell that. Trust me, if I could order my sanctification online and get it shipped to me in two days, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be showing up week after week with y'all having you chip pieces off of me to make me more like Jesus. I would buy this thing online. No offense to you. And I'm sure you would do the same thing. But that is not God's design for us in the church. Now, I wanted to prove this from like four different places in Ephesians. There are so many passages that capture this idea in Ephesians, and I wanted to take us there. I wouldn't have time to do us justice. Besides, I know that every one of you is going to do this Bible study in Ephesians where you understand the church, and so God is already going to show you the four places I would have shown you that God can only grow us in this way through the church. But let me point to two verses in chapter 4 that show that the church is irreplaceable to our growth. I'm in chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. You might have the ESV or the NIV translation. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. Chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. The church will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. If you dared to pull out Ephesians 2, 3, 4, 5, and any time you saw a conversation about sanctification and you took out the word church and you plugged in the word me, like what is Jesus doing in me personally apart from the body, you would miss what the book of Ephesians is trying to say. God has this grand experiment in mind where you and I are going to show up week after week in this place, in our life groups, in hospitality one to another, and somebody in the room is going to speak truth in love to us. And the next week, we are going to speak truth in love to another person. And because we are 
bonded in this body of Christ together, neither one of us can escape the chisel of truth and love that makes your brick fit with every other brick that we are being built into this temple in which we call sanctification. Your Christian growth is tethered to the church. So let me ask these questions about the fact that God will grow us through his church. Do I spend more time thinking about the Christian growth of me or more times thinking about the Christian growth of we? That took me a long time to come up with. I hope somebody tweets that today. Are we thinking more about, which we naturally do, my growth? What are, what are the areas I need? What fruit do I need? What spiritual armor do I need? What do I need with my family? What do I need with my workplace? What do I need in my personal journey to become more like Jesus? Are we so preoccupied with that that we don't pause to think and to pray and to fast and to plead and to show up and to encourage all the more as we see the day approaching? How is Columbia Presbyterian Church as a body becoming more and more like his son Jesus? And to do that, we have to ask a follow-up question, and that is, if I am part of this body, to whom do I have liberty to speak truth and love? Do I have people in this church that I can boldly confront them and speak truth and love and reciprocally, can people in this church speak truth in love to me? Do I have that kind of relationship with the church? I don't know if we realize this, but it's absolutely possible for any one of our members to pursue sanctification on our own. Like I can begin this soul project of making myself look more like Jesus and I can go off on my lonesome and I can, I can begin to work on every personal spiritual discipline. I could be regarded by my peers as righteous. In fact, in some ways, I could leave a very average church in my dust as I grow in one degree of glory to another to look more and more like Jesus apart from the rest of you and wherever you struggle in your Christian life. But if I am not an Ephesians 4 working joint in the local body of Christ, building this body up in love and the likeness of Jesus, I have failed in what God has called me to do. Beware of the lone ranger in their sanctification. Somebody needs to speak truth and love to them. This is a body-wide project for us together as a family to look more and more like Jesus. The church is a special place. Jesus is going to nourish us in a way in the church he can't do with us on our own. He's going to grow us in, in Christ-likeness in a way that he can't do for us simply on our own. And third and finally... The glory of God. God is going to gain particular glory in the local church that he chooses not to gain anywhere else. Now this would be bad, especially because I've set this sermon up. You could walk out of this room 
And you could forget that the local church is one of the chief places to receive nourishment from God. That would be bad, but you can forget that. You can also walk out of here and you can forget the fact that the local church is one of God's chief places to grow you as a believer who looks more like his son Jesus. And that would be bad. But never, ever, 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 ever forget that the local church is a beacon, it is a glimmer, it is a foretaste of the glory of God to the nations. I want to show you that in one verse, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 21. Look at this. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Have you seen that before? To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, both for us and for our kids and the generations after us and for all eternity forever and ever. Amen. I heard a speaker this week who gave a great illustration. He was kind of joking about the gift-giving dynamic that we all have with family members and spouses, how we struggle to give good gifts to each other because all of us start with the premise that whatever gift I would want to receive is probably the gift that my wife, my son, my dad, whoever would want to receive from me, right? And so we spend a lot of time giving the wrong gift. Now, me personally... I really enjoy very practical things. Probably half of you in the room share that idea with me, right? I want, a, I want a practical gift that I can use. My idea of a good gift is something that I was about to get to Lowe's and buy myself, but it appeared wrapped in a gift paid for by your money, and that's awesome. I open it. I can use it right away. It's fantastic. It's very practical. That's the kind of gift I want to get. I want to get a tool. I want to get something for the yard. I want to get a grocery gift card. I mean, something I can use. Then I know you love me. Julie, my wife, like the other half of you, she doesn't appreciate those kind of gifts. She wants something that she can't use. She wants something... <laughs> That's not practical. (laughs) She wants something that she would never get, never thought she needed, and it appears to her, and she feels loved because that happens. So you can imagine for the first, now 14 years of our marriage, we've been giving each other the wrong gifts. I get her a vacuum, and I'm thrilled, and she doesn't like it. She gets me a piece of art that made her think of me when she bought it, and we hate it. We hate our gifts. That we give to each other. Well, it's funny. We all do that with each other. And I think we also do that same thing with God. We, we kind of think in our relationship with God, let me choose what's going to make me happy. And then let me back that up in scripture to make sure that God will also be pleased with that and happy with the thing that I've already decided to do. Ephesians 3.21 is like one of those great post-birthday gift chats. The gift has been given. 
the wrapping paper is thrown away, the, the evening comes, the guests are gone, and the spouse sits down in a moment of vulnerability and says, that, that's not the kind of gift I want. <laughs> I, I never wanted a vacuum. Please don't ever do that again. <laughs> that's what God is doing in Ephesians 3.21. He's basically kind of giving you a clue as to what he is looking for. Here's what makes me happy. Here's what gives me glory. You want to celebrate me? You want to see my name exalted among the nations? You don't have to guess what I want. I'm going to tell you two things that I would love to see from each and every one of you for the sake of my glory. Find yourself in my son Jesus, by grace through faith, and find yourself in a local church body, by grace through faith. If you were about to buy God a vacuum, take it back, get the receipt, and give him these two things. He will be glorified in his son, and he will be glorified in the church. This is the vision of the church in the book of Ephesians. Now, this is going to look different for every single one of us. If you had lived in Paul's day and you would have joined to this church in Ephesus, you would have been meeting in somebody's home. There might have been 30 or 40 or 50 people gathered there. You would have known them all by name. And and your participation in the local church, it would have looked very different. If you live now in Columbia today and you participate in a local church here in the city of Columbia, whether that's Midtown or Shandon Baptist or Riverside or River Crest or River City Chapel or River Bend or whatever river church you want to join, when you join that church... When you participate in that church, when you use your spiritual gifts in that church, when somebody in that church can speak truth and love to you, you are actually linking yourself to membership in the big C body of Christ's church, which is all saints for all time. And as unimpressive and average as every one of these local church bodies feels like, your participation lands you smack into the middle of the grand story that God is telling in the book of Ephesians. That Jesus loved the church. That he died for her. That he washed her. That when he did, he lifted her so that she would stand above all princes and principalities in all of creation. And that when he does that, and as we enjoy that status in him, he will now feed us and nourish us. He will use this local church body to grow us. And he will gain his glory even as we fumble as the local church today. So that on that great and glorious wedding day in which God joins the happy spouses of Jesus and his bride, the church, he will present us to the universe in splendor without spot or wrinkle 
or any such thing. And God will go on gaining glory in his son and in the church forever and ever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, praise you, praise you, blessed be your name, that you would create this body, this family in which we can link together and by doing so you call us the very body, the hands and feet of Christ, that you will use this body to nourish and cherish us, that you will use this body to grow us into the image of your son, that you will use this body to gain glory among the nations. Do that in our midst, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.